The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association. Welcome to Season 5 of Retail Therapy, proudly brought to you by American Express. This season, I'll be chatting with a great lineup of leaders in Australia's retail industry right here in the Amex Lounge, including the CEOs of some of the biggest retailers in Australia and across the globe. We'll be finding out what makes them tick, what defines their leadership style, and how they got to the top of their game. Joining me for some retail therapy today is Angus McKay, the CEO and Managing Director at 7-Eleven. Angus has been at the helm at 7-Eleven for over seven years, capping off a diverse and rich career with leadership positions at iconic companies such as Asiano, Foster's, New Zealand Milk and Diageo. In cities such as Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane, it's hard to clear a block without passing a 7-Eleven. They're ingrained in the city's dynamic. Angus, a pleasure to speak to you and welcome. Hey, thanks, Paul. Nice to be here. Now, Angus... Big day today because um, although our listeners will be listening to this podcast a little down the track, 7-Eleven have announced they're up for sale. We have indeed put that out there today. You could argue, <laughs> so, Paul, you're the first to jump to a headline. There you go. <laughs> so we thought we should get that elephant out of the room, um, discussed up front. So tell us more. Yeah, you know, we're, we're a privately held company owned by you know, the Withers and Barlow families. Um, they've owned us for you know 46 odd years, brought wow. the first store to Melbourne back in 1977. And yeah, you know, like like unfortunately, as I say, like all good things, they've decided that now's a good time to, to end their journey with 7-Eleven and pass it on, or sell it on, is probably yes. the most appropriate description to um whoever wants to be the person that or people that drive that next leg of growth. So uh, you know, one little bit of a sad day, you know, mm. to, uh, that with that announcement, lots of you know, lots of emotion as we made the announcements, but but on the other hand, uh, it breeds the prospect of a very new and bright future. So, so the opportunities are endless. Could they could it could be an IPO, it could be a trade sale, it could be any of those variants. So it could end up in in potentially even bigger and better hands. Correct, and certainly I think yeah, that's our. You know, I'll say our collective hope here is that, that that's exactly what we want. Is it, it ends up in uh, not just someone who wants a good company, but someone who's going to love it and nurture it as much as the family's done yeah. for about 46 years. Well, uh, let's hope by the time this goes to air, we'll uh, know more. But um, we wish you all the very best on that. So we're going to understand a little bit more about the convenience store brand. Now, 7-Eleven is the most recognised convenience store brand in Australia and the largest retailer by store count in the world. Amazing. How did it become so popular? Oh, look, so it goes back, um, you know, back to Texas, you know, with the Southland Company and, um, you know, uh, a guy called John Jefferson who basically rebranded a mini-mart as a convenience market because he sold fresh ice, uh, you know, nearly a century ago. Clearly, the, the brand has evolved globally since then, but, you know, the notion of convenience has, you know, if you think about Australia, um, you know, I was thinking about my youth uh when I first joined it, yeah, you know, service stations were just that. I mean, it was usually a man who pumped petrol out the front of the thing, greasy rag in their back pocket, you know, might do some other things around your car, but God knows you wouldn't eat out of one. And now, you know, we certainly would say, you know, very proudly, we serve great food out of our stores and serve gasoline and other things like that. But the offer has evolved and convenience is um, 
well, 7-Eleven is synonymous with it, but, but bluntly, we're all wanting mm. a more convenient life. Yeah. You know, and that's us. And is, is it an amalgam, really, of like the old milk bar corner store and the local petrol station? Is that the way convenience stores have become together? I suppose it's where they started. And now I think, you know, it is that service station. Well, you know, in some cases they're a service station. You know, we've got 220 that aren't service stations. But, you know, they, they're an amalgam of the service station. Yes, the corner milk bar you know, what might have been a mini-mart, you know, in some jurisdictions. But now also they're colliding head-on with uh, fast food and they are, you know, we're, you know, certainly in our case, you know, we very proudly put McDonald's and others on the competitor list and, mm. you know, and, and we're quite proud when they put us on their competitor list. So, you know, we're all looking now for different occasions outside of just petrol, you know, chips and chocolate. You know, we want to, we want, we 7-Eleven want to sell real food across the whole day part. And in our case, because we are 24-7, you know, that means breakfast, on the way to work, it might be dinner on the way home from work. It might be 11.30 after you've watched your local footy team. Either get a win or take a thumping. You can go to our store and you can be fit well. Did the 7-Eleven name come from being open at 7 and closing at 11? Because you mentioned 24-7. Is that the history of the brand name? It did. That was yeah. one of the revolutions, which is, yeah, open at 7, closed at 11. Which but back in the day would have been extended shopping hours, right? Which is now, <laughs> when you think about it, 24-7s really. Would most of your convenience stores, would 7-Eleven across the country mostly be open 24-7? Yeah, with the exception of probably 10 stores out of, you know, 750. Wow. Yes. And, that, and those 10 are all defined by council regulations where we just, we can't. But yeah, but yeah, yeah 7-Eleven was revolutionary back then. I mean, yeah, <laughs> bluntly, as you know, because you fight the good cause in some of our jurisdictions. Yes. Yeah, you know, 7-Eleven would be revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned 750 stores. That's nothing to be uh, sneezed at because that's a large uh, store network. I can't imagine what um, the store visits must look, schedule must look like. But tell us about your leadership style and how you managed to oversee such a large store network, a large entity. So before I get into to just what I think I'm like, you know, the Angus version of Angus, Overseeing the entity, I mean, you know, as you know full well from your history, you, know, you, you got to have a cracking team. You know, they, they do all the hard work and I probably just ride their coattails. But, yeah, they, they're the ones that run this network and, and make sure that it operates properly. My leadership style, I like to believe, is allowing good people to do what good people should do, giving them that freedom. So there's a lot of autonomy. There's a lot of accountability that goes with that for them. You know, I, I don't mind personally climbing the ladder of, you know, being out of the detail all the way down to swimming in the detail. I think, you know, this is my first retail role and, you know, there's that tourism adage, what do you want to call it, retail is detail, and God, yes, it is. Mm. There's no doubt about that. So, you know, I love swimming in a bit of detail. I also like being us being able to take risks. That's certainly one of the advantages that the Withers Barlow family have given us is that we get to play some pretty big projects yeah. out that many might not have a go at because of either timeframes or dollars or whatever it might be. And we get to you know, really experiment and, and keep pushing the brand in a, a pretty different way to, you know, I'll say certainly our competitors, but maybe other retailers. And then I think the other one is, you know, I like to think, um, you know, I'm pretty authentic. I mean, most people would, you know, you don't struggle to know what's on my mind because I'm pretty upfront about it. And But equally, you know, I'm happy to chip in and make sure that um, everyone gets to see the real me. And that is important in a, mm. in, a, in a large retail network, you know, franchise particularly, that people feel that they can um, relate to you and talk to you and you get to hear what's really going on. So that would be 
That's what I think. You should probably poll a few others and I'll give you the truth. <laughs> well, let, let's uh, just add a little bit more because you, you mentioned this is your first retail role, which is not normal in a retail career because most of the people I speak to um, uh, have a similar heritage to me. They started on the shop floor and worked their way through. Uh, but we're hearing more and more of people coming from other business fields and, and entering the retail world and actually really loving it. What was the transition like for you, Angus, in going into a retail role without the retail history or, or, or pedigree? Yeah, look, so not not as confronting as everyone said it should be. I mean, I, I you know, I really enjoyed it, and I think I, uh, you know, I think I was a, a relatively quick study. My background is that industrial companies, FMCG companies, I've operated all over the world. Part of what I like is doing things that are different. I mean, it would all the socks off me, quite frankly, mm. you know, staying within one industry for my whole career. That's no disrespect, rather, but that's just not what I like. Yeah. But you know, getting in, the luxury was I had a great team that, that I caught. Um, it allowed me then to spend time, you know, really hearing from people at the shop front what was going on, what they wanted, what they didn't want, trying to work out what we wanted to do relative to that. It was then able to, you know, sit back and actually help paint a bit of a vision for where we want to go before I immerse myself in pod systems and, you know, and as you'd know, you know, hundreds of millions of transactions a year across our network. So I had the luxury of really stepping back, which can sometimes be a bit of an illusion. I think when you take a new role, you want to believe you can do it, but it doesn't quite work out that way. Well, we're going to unpack that a little bit further because I think um, – do you think it may have been in some ways an advantage? Because I think coming out without the retail background, you can question everything. You probably got to uncover things that were just done the way they have been for many years without being questioned. Do you think that's fair? Oh, I think that's very, very fair. I think others who are listening would probably say, you know, Angus is never short of a dumb question. That just gives you the licence to ask them. But, yeah, you, you could literally ask anything and you'd – you know, you could very quickly work out what made sense, what didn't. Yes. I said a good team who, you know, were, were able to guide me pretty quickly, but but equally open to a very, very different perspective. And, and you know, i got to say a board that weren't wanting a retailer when they poached me, they knew that up front mm. uh, and therefore valued what I brought rather than, I suppose, what I was missing. And when you first became a leader, did you feel well prepared or was it, you know, fake it until you make it scenario. At age group, there's always some confidence you've got to have. You know, you, you, I'll say you back yourself. And when you're younger and just beginning, that, that you know, probably that confidence has to be kept in check. I, I don't think I ever really thought about being a leader. I, you know, just for me, it was all around listening to the people around me and, you know, supporting great ideas and people that, you know, if you like, wanted to go away and get things done as distinct from, well, I suppose probably another way to think about it is I've never felt that as a leader, you've got to walk into that room and be, you know, called the smartest person in the room and yes. articulate the vision and, you know, that, that all sits on your shoulders. I think as a leader, your job is to, you know, gather good people around you, work out what you collectively want to do and then motivate and um, incentivize people to go after what's yes. the right thing. Every so often you have to step out and go, no, that's what we're going to do. And, mm. and I think, yeah, that that's that's required but most of the time it's not a solo job it's it's the, it's it's leading a team as distinct from being you know a singular leader so and certainly at 7-Eleven, it, it is a team. Yeah, I understand. Uh, for any aspiring leaders listening to our chat today, do you have any advice for them on how to prepare themselves for such a significant role? So I, I think first of all, I would say you, you do have to you do have to get ready for the fact that you know that, that it is a bit of a lonely role. You know, it's not. Mm. I don't think it's the cliche people make it out to be. But, but by definition, you know, 
you know, it starts and stops with yourself. Avail yourself of the knowledge that's in the room. You know, there's, you know, keep your ears and your eyes open. Don't shut down things. And then the other thing I'd say to, to them is be prepared to live in the grey for a while. Mm. I mean, and I think when you're young, that's really hard because when you're young, everyone's trying to tell you to make decisions and do things, you know, whereas I think as a leader, allowing you and the organisation just to live in that grey so you can really explore, you know, particularly the boundaries of a decision or the boundaries of an idea allows you greater flexibility than just trying to box yourself into, you know, the binary, you know, go left end or right. And then I think the other one is um, you, you, you've got to back yourself, mm. you know. You, 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 if you... If you've got doubts, then you're probably not ready. No, really good point. I think your authenticity comes through and through. And I, uh, I, I guess reflecting on what you're saying, it's important that those listening, it, it, getting prepared for a CEO's role, it's not one step up, is it? It's 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 many more than that. So making sure you surround yourself with good people and you're prepared to listen to them is really key to your own success. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and you hit on the head. I mean, you know, I think everybody smells a rat, mm. you know, really quickly. So if you're inauthentic, I reckon that your, your time is measured very, very quickly. Yes, good point. You know, um, and I think I'd specifically say, yeah, whether it be you know, a retail context where you're dealing with, you know, the men and women that are facing their customers, if they think you're inauthentic, I reckon you've lost it. Just as I'd say in an industrial context, same deal. You know, the men and women on the shop floor there, again, if they think you're inauthentic, you just, you know, you, I think your time's, measured very, very quickly. Yeah, so yeah. be authentic, be yourself. Yeah, really good good advice. Now, innovation has been a, a great focus for 7-Eleven. Do you have any future aspirations for the business you could share with listeners today? Yeah, look, so innovation is um, it, it's absolutely critical to us. I described earlier our journey, you know, from the servo or the chips and chocolate seller. You know, we, we couldn't be further away from that today and we have an absolute vision that we want to be further away from that today. So, you know, we've got a, an ambition by 2030, we want to do a billion transactions a year in our business. So that's in the next seven years, even the mathematics from the P&L perspective says we'll be four times larger than we are today. Wow. Uh, and we're on course to do that. Uh, innovation is critical to that. So for us, uh, that's probably centred in two big places. So one is our convenient food mission. So we're really clear we want to sell more food, we want that to be convenient food, and we want, you know, within that, we want that to be fresh. So we're, we're really driving hard at being able to feed people properly in any day part, in that sense. Uh, and that goes to, you know, we've got 10 proof of concept stores here in Melbourne at the moment called Johnny's Deli, which is a, a completely re, different reincarnation of 7 Eleven. Wow. You know, completely different. And for those of you, shameless plug, for those of you who are in Melbourne, get out there and find them. That they're all around the city, but you'll see that you'd, they look nothing like a Seven Eleven you'd find anywhere in the world, let alone here in Australia. How long have they been operating for, Angus? First one went to ground or came out of the ground nine, ten months ago. Uh, then the last of the ten would be just about to crack six months. Okay. Although next time in Melbourne, I will check it out. Which is the flagship location? Oh, so we've got one on the corner of Exhibition and Burke, if you're in the CBD. Uh, we've got one on Bridge Road, just directly behind the Epworth. Those would be the two closest to town. Uh, and then, we, you know, then we've got some reg um, regional suburban locations, Werribee, uh, Coolaroo, yep. sort of. You know, and as you know, you know, there's an example of innovation. So these are 
10 different stores, a couple of them are brand spanking new, a couple of them are complete refurbs, a couple of them are, you know, we're trying different models. It's a food service model, not a convenience model, so very different. So more like style. a cafe, more like a cafe? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, or a deli. Yeah, so you, so you can stand up and you can actually eat at a bench in there, yep. but it's it's more like a deli. You're buying food that you're going to eat within probably 10 minutes of leaving the store. It is all fresh food, so it's all prepared and assembled in the store. But you, you can imagine how different that is from a convenience offering. Yeah. So that's required us to not only lay out all the money to do it, but to retrain staff, to hire staff that have got that hospitality kind of yes. um, ethos and style. So, yeah, that, they're all going well. They're all going very, very differently. You know, I'd love it to have been one formula, but it's probably fair to say we've got 10 formulas. We're trying to work out which one we <laughs> Which one's the right one, which you've got to back yeah. the winner, right? Yeah, but, but you know, the, the notion of backing the winner and just to give you, you, you know, you talk about ambition. So, you know, our budget for next year that will commence um, July 1, you know, we've got an ambition there's going to be nearly 70 of those by the wow. end of the year. Yeah, so we're not going to do this by half measure. Once we know exactly what we want to do, we're going to get on with it and, and give it a go. And that's innovation at food, but equally at storefront, labour, et cetera, et cetera. So watch this space, huh? Yeah, correct. And then look, and the other place that we actively experiment and innovate in is the digital world. You know, seven years ago, we started off with the My 7-Eleven Fuel app. That's now just My 7-Eleven, you know, a, a broader loyalty offer. There's another incarnation of that that will come out in the next 12 months. You know, we've got over a million active users on that app today. We've gone from no digital transactions to now two and a half, three years later, we've got um, you know in excess of 12% of our transactions are digital and, and we're just wanting to move quickly. Home delivery, probably not necessarily innovative, but we think the fact that we're operating one very profitably mm. makes it very different from others. So all those kind of things um, all around where customers want to go with us and how we can just get there as fast as possible. Let's talk a bit now about sustainability because I know it's been a focus for 7-Eleven. I actually saw your drink cups aligned with a film made from plants instead of plastic, which is fantastic to see. Tell us how this came about. So our sustainability journey has been going for a while, but probably one of the key moments was when there was a piece done on the ABC on uh, the recycling industry and they focused on coffee cups. They actually ended up filling a tram up with the good old disposable coffee cups. I did see cups. that. I did see that. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it really hit us around, well, you know, we very proudly sell wonderful coffee that's, you know, that's very inexpensive for people. We suddenly realised, you know, actually, whilst that's a, a service at one level, we've got to do something about the back end, which is the, the cups that we see lying around at the end of the day. And, um, you know, the the revolutionary insight for, I think, a lot of people, still not enough people, is that a coffee cup is not recyclable. Mm. Okay? So I think we all thought that you pick it up, stick it in the recycling bin. Well, actually, no, it gets pulled out of the recycling stream and put into landfill. And that's all because of the, the liner inside the cup. So in order for the cup not to leak uh, and, you know, spill coffee into people's laps or hands, it's got a, a polyethylene liner. That liner prevents it from being recycled. So we went away and step one was we started up our own recycling stream through a thing called Simply Cups, whereby you can deposit any coffee cup, a 7-Eleven or other, we don't care, in any one of our stores, in hundreds of schools around the country. Wow. And we arrange for all those cups to be picked up and millions of cups have now been picked up and 
convert it into stuff that you'd find in people's lounge room, uh, lounge rooms, park benches, you know, the stoppers that stop cars rolling down hills or even roads. So, you know, pretty pragmatic uses, but it, those cups are being recycled. The next iteration for us around the cup was about six months ago. We changed the cup so that that polyethylene liner is now actually plant-based, which actually does allow it to be composted. Mm. And we're pushing really hard with the governments around the country to get that compostability rating. And that, and that's incredibly hard. As you dive into this space, the regulation is uh, mind-blowing. That, that same cup that we're using is used in Europe and is, you know, people put it in their FOGO bins uh, at home. Uh, you know, we can't do that here. So we're going to keep pushing for our regs in Australia to catch up with other countries. Uh, we've just then moved on to our coffee at the same stage. So all of our coffee uh, is purchased through uh, an alliance that we've got that essentially says through fair trade, we know that every bean we buy, the value of that bean is going all the way back to the farmers who grow it. Fantastic. That means that they get to live the lives that they should leave, but equally that we are investing in their communities in, you know, in some of the poorest countries on the planet. So, um, that's just one journey on coffee. We're doing, you know, like many, making revolutionary changes to our packaging. Um, you know, we're going after in our food products. We've just set a mission for all our suppliers that will be palm oil free by 2025. You know, so really, really important for us, along with the normals of, you know, regenerative energy supplies, et cetera. You know, so yeah. we're really trying to tackle the things that we bring to customers that we know, if not done properly, cause harm to the environment. So just on the still on the topic of sustainability as as the world transitions to net zero by 2050, what's the plans for the 7-Eleven convenience stores which most of them would be selling petrol? How do you see that transition happening across to electric vehicles? Yeah, so we're we're well and truly also also preparing for that. Yeah, so we 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 certainly believe fuel is going to be with us for quite a while. We're exploring with our fuel partner Mobile uh, alternative fuels, and so not so much electricity, but right. you know biofuels, things that you know if you like have a lesser impact on the planet. Um, we, we dearly love to jump to the end game, but that that's just not possible today. But we're looking at all those alternative fuels and how they'll play a role. Uh, electricity will play a role, and then it, we're, we're probably not. We, we we don't believe that our 550 service stations will all run EVs. And, and the reason we don't is the customer is not going to want that. You know, the customer will buy electric vehicles. There is no doubt about that. But they'll charge them at their home. They might charge them at their office. Yes. Um, and therefore, to spend, you know, what, what could be up to a million dollars a site putting that kind of infrastructure in for no one to want to use it, Yes. Um, we think is wasteful. So we will in the right locations have EV charging points. We, we do in many today. We'll explore in some of the higher density worlds. You know, I don't know, in, in Melbourne, that might be Richmond. In Sydney, that might be a Glebe or a Surrey Hills where yes. off-street parking is perhaps not so available. How might we be part of the solution there? But we're, we're trying to be really, I'll just say transparent. We, we don't think the answer is just shoving a, yes. an EV charging site on every one of our sites. That, no. that, that's not going to be an answer that that solves the problems the world wanting to have solved. So our problem solving is around what are those next big tangible steps we can take to provide alternative fuels to customers. So it'd be really a location by location, case by case decision. So on an EV, yes, case yes. by case, yes. site by site. 
on, on alternative fuels, that might be something we roll out to every site. Fantastic. Shifting the conversation slightly, given your background, uh, Angus, has not been within retail and convenience, what's your, what's your favourite thing that, you, that you, you enjoy about your job or, or the industry? Let me come down to people as the generic word, and that is I love retail because of the proximity to the customer. You know, it's uh, you know whether it's worked or it hasn't worked true, so true. quickly. Yeah, it, it's and and I, you know, to me that the fun part is how quickly you have to scale up when you do get it right because because <laughs> we never get it right. Let's be clear. Yeah. Yeah. It's like oops, that caught us by surprise. Or how quickly can you whip it out when it doesn't work? Yes. Uh, so so I love that proximity to the customer, and then I, I love proximity to our team and our staff. You know, um, you know, you, you know, I walk into our stores, and I suppose you know you do get known and you know happy smiling faces that are there serving customers. And and Paul, as you and I both know, I mean, you know, serving customers in a retail environment, you know, fifty percent of the time it can be just wonderful. The other fifty, perhaps okay. not so. So um, you know, just spending time with them, and then for those of us who live in the support center, the same deal. Just that proximity of watching people thrive in uh, in a fast-moving environment. That That's probably the number one part I like about retail. Yeah, fair enough. Look, it's one of those, one of my bugbears actually where government particularly, they refer to frontline salespeople as being unskilled labour. And in fact, there's a great skill, you would argue, in serving the general public. It's not to be, you know, overlooked because it, it's hard work. And, um, you know, and those people that do a great job of it, love it, and they, you know, and most of the time it's great. But then there's times when things can get escalate, can escalate, and things don't go to plan. But you know, I've really enjoyed our conversation, Angus. I love your enthusiasm, your authenticity. Uh, I, I wish you all the very best in uh, whatever happens with the with the company and the organisation. I really appreciate you joining us for some retail therapy today and uh, in the Amex Lounge. And all the best for your work at Seven Eleven. And congratulations on your success thus far. Paul, thanks. I've enjoyed the conversation. I'll get off the couch. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks for joining me today for Retail Therapy in the Amex Lounge. If you haven't already, make sure you hit that follow button on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You won't want to miss an episode. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. If you're a new listener, you can find our back catalogue of new episodes, over 50 now, on our website. We've covered small business, sustainability, tech and innovation, and we even release a yearly Christmas miniseries. For more information on what we do at the ARA, head to retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All of the links can be found in the show notes. I'd now like to welcome Kelly Taggart, CEO of Roses Only, to the Amex Lounge. Roses Only is a leading Australian-owned retailer for delivered premium flowers and gifts. Its passionate florists, friendly floral consultants and dependable delivery drivers have brought joy to millions of people all over Australia. Formed in 1995, it brings together 45 years of floristry experience and established 10 florist studios in major cities nationwide, as well as some partner florists. Kelly, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Paul. Nice to be here. Since its inception in 1995, Roses Only would have witnessed a lot of change and development in the floristry business. What are some of the ways you've innovated and evolved the business? Yes, we've uh, certainly seen a lot of changes since 1995. Uh, back then, I think uh, you would have been going into a physical florist shop to buy your flowers. And these days, you have a lot of options where you can buy online, whether it's uh, through your mobile phone, either calling someone and talking to a real person or buying online through your phone or your laptop. 
So it really um, provides a lot of advantages there in ways that you can order in all manner of types. We've even had someone that has called in while they were riding a horse uh, and ordered flowers on their way to whatever it was that they were doing, riding a horse, would you believe it? So I guess um, back then also, first when we were online, payment options, uh, there wasn't many available. So I think we only had one payment option available. And then it's been with the likes of relationships like American Express that we've been able to really diversify those payment options for customers. And even now, uh, recently, we've been able to roll out uh, pay with points for American Express. So you can pay with your credit card points to buy your flowers, which we think is really cool. So I guess the evolution of social media has also impacted our industry quite a bit. The way that we market to customers online, uh, the rise of Google AdWords um, is a major part of the floral industry, knowing where you want to deliver something and being able to search for flower delivery to Sydney or flower delivery to Brisbane. That's generally been on the rise since um, online has increased. Uh, and also being understanding of how we can impact uh, the environment um, with more sustainable floristry as well. And I guess over the last 15 years, we've really focused on being a data-driven company and using that data to make sure that we're not creating the waste in the first place. So making sure that we're buying what we need for when we need it, for when our customers want it, which I'm sure you can imagine is a really difficult task. Uh, we have about a hundred different types of flowers and greenery that we manage throughout the year. Um, so you can imagine the complexity that goes with that. And we've been able to get our wastage down to around two to 3% overall, which I think is pretty fantastic. Apart from that though, we're always looking at ways that people are doing things internationally and talking to our local flower farms to see what other sort of uh, business practices we can adopt as well. From before the days of the pandemic until now, what kind of patterns have you noticed in customer behaviour and how has this impacted the way you future-proof your business? I think not much has changed in the way that people still want things really fast and really reliably. But we were already investing in our digital infrastructure for our um, for all of our warehouses around the country. And then when the pandemic hit, we saw a volume really increase. So people were, they couldn't visit their loved ones. They really wanted to send a message of love to people. And we saw that really expand. And that was a really beautiful thing to be a part of. So this meant that the advancement that we've had in our technical and digital capabilities through reliable and scalable digital practices meant that we could really provide great customer service to people uh, and reliable delivery. So I guess with more customers looking at buying online, that's meant that we've had a much more expanded customer base to talk to. And uh, thankfully, uh, they've had a really good experience with us and they've been able to experience our brand and how wonderful it is to send flowers to someone and hear the smile on someone's face when they call you or send you a message. And that's definitely driven, driven a lot of uh, customer growth and repeat customers post-pandemic. So, that's been really great for us. 